This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Keller, he's near circle. Travis Boyd going to the goal, backhand chance, he scores! Beautiful move by Travis Boyd to the side of the net as he scores his second of the game on the backhand. Jelly back to the line for Soderstrom, side of the goal, loss. A cross scores from a tough angle. Coyotes get their second power play goal of the game off the stick of Lawson Kraus, just 119 into the third. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Now Bovillia left circle, hip for Pedersen, settles, shoots, scores! Elias Pedersen with all sorts of time at the bottom of the right circle finally beats Ivan Prozvitov on his third opportunity. Of-, of the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks lose in Arizona 3-2 against the Coyotes, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar, and as always, get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll-free 1-888-275-0650. And we are going to bring Randy into the conversation in just a moment's time. Elias Pedersen tried to drag the Canucks back into this one, made it 3-2, and the Canucks did come somewhat close in the end to tie it at 3, but no late-game hurry. Rogues tonight, Vic. No, 23 minutes and 7 seconds for Elias Pettersson as well. Again, as we detailed earlier, a lot of power play time. 7 minutes and 36 seconds. And it was a huff and a puff and can't knock the big bad coyotes over. <laughs> I, know, I know they're not wolves. But. No, they're not. And I just got this tweet uh, in my notifications from Melvin Berry. Uh, lose to the coyotes should automatically give the Canucks first overall in Connor Bedard. Was that the one? That, that was the game? That's, that's going to determine it? We'll see. That was the one. <laughs> that's the one. All right, uh, let's bring Randeep into this discussion. And, and Randeep, you know, we talked about this on the pregame show. Don't expect a ton of goals tonight. These are two teams that, especially with how Vancouver's been playing recently, you know, not as high scoring. Only five goals, which is not a lot in Canucks games. Usually one team has at least five goals when, uh, when the Canucks are playing or have been for much of the season. But the Coyotes, they almost did what the Canucks do better recently, and that is not give much up and snuff out a victory. No, they made life for their goaltender pretty comfortable. And, guys, you look at you know the lack of goals in this game, and I think if you're the Canucks, you're going to be extremely frustrated by that 0-for-5 on the power play stat, right? 2-for-3, uh, the Coyotes, they do their job. But early on in this game, after that one nothing goal by Kuzmenko, multiple power plays. You're looking at three, four power mm-hmm. plays where the Canucks could have generated and really, you know, stuck a fork in this game to to a certain degree. You get that two nothing goal against a team that barely scores three goals per game, not even on the season. Uh, you're in a very, very good spot, but the fact that they couldn't get that second one, and let alone that, they allow one late in the period for the 19th time this season in the final minute of a period. Uh, that, to me, was a, a big moment in this game where you feel good about yourself, guys, but, you know, the Coyotes were not good in that first period. They were taking penalty after penalty. And I think the Canucks are going to look in the mirror after that one to say, all right, after the first 20, we let that one go. Yeah, and, and that goal at, right at the end of the period almost gives the Coyotes a, a chance to look at it in the intermission and say, we really couldn't have gone any worse in that period. All those penalties, but we come out 1-1. And so let's just reset and let's just win 40 minutes. And away they went. And they were significantly the better team in the second period. And, and the, the the Canucks may have lost the game in the opening 20, but Coyotes won it thereafter. 
Yeah, they grabbed it back. Six high danger chances to Vancouver, zero five on five in that second period. Uh, they were skating. The Canucks, maybe it was a lack of confidence after allowing another goal late. But that was where the Coyotes essentially said, all right, we can't play any worse than that. So we're going to come back and we're going to play better. And to their credit, you know, I don't know what Travis Boyd has been eating this season, but his pregame <laughs> meals are probably better than they were in 2020-21 uh, in terms of scoring goals. But that was, you know, looking back at that, a lot of puck watching for the Canucks in the second period. Um, some unforced errors. The the one, sorry, two one goal that Boyd scores. Sorry, the one one goal that Boyd scores in at the end of the first was a classic example. Liam O'Brien gets a stick on that, but mm-hmm. still, you know, why are you waiting that long to make that play? And you know, Tyler Myers goes chasing on the two one goal. Uh, just a lot of a lot of maybe some bad habits we'd seen a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago that popped up again in one game. So you're not going to win every single game. Uh, but, you know, for all that talk of structure, for all the talk of uh, making the right decisions at the right time, the second period was not that. Well, no, it wasn't. And you know what? Like the, when you look at the even strength game, right? Like the first period, the Canucks were better. The second, um, it was Arizona that kind of carried the play. Vancouver tried to push back in the third, but overall, pretty even game, five on five, mm-hmm. right? Arizona, I'd say, were better because they had the lesser team, and you know they were able to kind of keep the game very even at five on five. But Arizona crushed it on special teams. You know they go three for two, they go two for three on the power play. The Canucks go zero for five on the power play, and that's the story of this game, Randy. It totally is, and I, I think where you look at that second period where. You know, they ended up getting both of their power play goals. Um, Lawson Krause is all by himself. There's a huge gap between the forwards and the defensemen uh, when he scores that goal to get that 3-1 goal. Uh, but even before that, right, the the lack of structure on the other one where, you know, Clayton Keller comes out and Tyler Myers chases him and Elias Pettersson's kind of a, you know, they're both kind of confused there and they let Boyd have that space. Uh, that to me was, you know, not the PK that we've seen over the last little bit for the Canucks. But beyond that, guys, I think it goes back to the power play. You like the rotations on them. You like the fact that these guys are moving around. And they've been better on the power play. But today against a, a PK that really, you know, is 24th in the league. It's not like Arizona is a, a great PK team. I know in the last little bit they've been better in the mm-hmm. last two or three games. But there were areas that was, you know, they weren't able to break the middle of the ice. They weren't able to get to the guts of the ice on the offensive side of things. And that's essentially what the difference was where – Arizona's opportunities, they were right there down the middle. Vancouver's on the power play outside of the Brock Besser post in the first period and a couple of fan shots by Brock Besser. uh, They didn't get too much in tight. And rather uncharacteristic from Thatcher Demko on both goals, the second and the third goal, because... You know, the, the the Boyd one goes through his legs and it looks like he's trying to cheat towards Richie. And then the the, the Kraus goal, um, I I guess he's trying to do the same thing, like prepare for the pass across, but the short side is wide open there. Yeah, that one was, I think when you see it real time, you maybe don't notice how much he's cheating, but yes. when you look at that replay, yeah. he is totally leaning to the center of that ice and trying to deny that pass. And I, I do is- think the low high pass as well also mm-hmm. kind of yeah. impacts his decision making as well. For sure. And, you know, but you also look at the other angle that it opens up that, you know, near the post so much where it's an awkward angle for Lawson Krause, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, this is an NHL goal scorer that's got 22 goals this year. He's going to find the back of the net if you give him that much room. So it wasn't, I would say, maybe the best night in in regards because, yeah, on that Boyd goal, he was opened up. Um, But that Krause one, to me, the positioning on that, I understand what he's keeping an eye on, uh, you know, the middle of the ice, but that one where, you know, 
you, you probably see him seal the post a little bit more often than not. There, he doesn't do that. And I can understand um, what he's thinking, but credit to Lawson Krauss to take what Thatcher Gidemko gave him and just pick the corner on that one. But to me, it was not necessarily... You know, there's going to be games where Thatcher Demko or the goaltending is is going to be 85% of what you know what you you see on a normal basis or 90% of what you see on uh from the goalie right but guys the Canucks they gave the um the Arizona Coyotes plenty of opportunity and I look back at that the penalties the JT Miller penalty prior to that you know 3-1 goal uh sorry the 2-1 goal uh it was a late hit interference mm-hmm. and bang there's a goal yeah, the Anthony Bovillier penalty before that um not a great penalty both of them in the offensive zone so Yes, Thatcher Demko's in a position to save his team, but you know penalties are going to be called against you after that first period. You have to make better decisions. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the decision-making we saw at, at certain times of this game, it wasn't quite where it needed to be. And, you know, we'll hear from Rick Tockett late in the game. We'll hear from Rick Tockett post-game here coming up in a few minutes, but it was interesting to kind of see the deployment late. He got away from Pedersen, Kuzmenko, and Bavillier. Pedersen also missed a few shifts. I wonder what kind of happened there. It seemed like Tockett, with how he was coaching in the third, didn't seem too pleased with his players' performances. No, and I'm very interested to hear what he has to say because that was, for a coach that likes to talk about winning puck battles, Arizona won the majority of them in this game. For a coach that talks about protecting the middle of the ice, the Vancouver Canucks were second best at that in tonight's game too. So, you know, we talk about that structure, not worrying about results so much, but as long as you play the right way. And for the majority of that game, they fell into bad habits from the past. So I think talk, it's going to be probably a little angry or maybe... You know, generally he's pretty open to talk. I, I do wonder today where, you know, when a, a coach is frustrated, does he does he open up and talk or does he, uh, you know, cut it short? Over under 110 seconds from talk it. Ooh. I'm taking the under. I mean, there's not a lot of a lot of reporters on the road nowadays either. True. So, like, it's like one question and he's done. I'll, I'll take the under on yeah, this one. I'll take the under too. Okay. Uh, before we let you go, just a quick quick thought here on Anthony Bavillier. We'll talk about Pedersen on the postgame show, but uh, before we let you slide off here, he's up to 16 points in 18 games, Bavillier. Had two assists here tonight. When he was acquired by Vancouver, he had 20 points in 49 games. He was on pace to have his most futile season since his rookie year. Well, since coming to Vancouver, he's now on pace to have a career season. Only three points back of his career high of 39 points. He has 15 games to go on the season. And there's a chance that he ends this year with a career high in goals, which is 21. Career high in assists, which is 22. Because he's sitting here now with 16 goals, 20 assists, and 36 points. That's pretty remarkable. What does that say about what he's doing and also the fit alongside Elias Patterson? The fit has been great, and this is a guy that I think when you start looking at, you know, both of his points tonight, the first, the one nothing goal, you know, just makes a, a smart pass. He feeds the guy that has been scoring for fun in Kuzmenko. I, I like the play, um, but the second assist that he ends up getting today on the 3-2 goal, that's the one I focus on to say, all right, he's putting pressure on the puck carrier, forces that turnover, the puck goes back to Garland, comes back to Bovillier, and then he makes that pass to Pedersen where... It's not only about are you picking up points, but are you as a winger that is playing next to Elias Pettersson, are you pressuring? Are you the first guy in? Are you engaging in a battle to get him the puck? And that's what I like about Bavilia's game. He finds those soft areas to score goals himself. He can tip the puck home, all of those things. On the power play, when he's on power play one, he does a pretty good job of retrieving the puck for rebounds. And that's why Tockett has looked at him 
you know, in that spot in certain times, guys. But what I like is that effort level of he's not the biggest of guys, but is he, you know, does he provide that forecheck or is he, uh, you know, uh, a player that's successful as the first or second guy in? And he's shown that he can be. And that's why I was intrigued later on in this game where, you know, that 3-2 goal, it's Pedersen, Garland, and Bovillier working together. And Connor Garland does a great job on that entire shift. But the play by Bovillier also mm-hmm. leads out. They worked well as a unit to create that goal. Yeah, no question about that. Randy, great stuff as always. Calling the game, game alongside Brendan Batcher. We look forward to chatting with you coming up later this weekend. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. You got it. That's Randeep Janda. Canucks lose in Arizona against the Coyotes 3-2. The Yotes snapping the Canucks' five-game winning streak. The two teams are now tied in points, 63 on the season. However, Vancouver does have games in hand on the Coyotes. But, you know, not separating too much after a five-game winning streak. Like people have been texting in saying, huge four-point swing (laughs) in terms of the bottom of the standings. This, This text says, it's great we lost. Chill out, everybody. They did technically improve their... Lottery odds as well, yeah, because they now tie with St. Louis, but St. Louis has the regulation wins tiebreaker, oh. so they're equal on games played, equal on points, points percentage, and then uh, they move into eighth, so they're now six percent chance. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Uh, and you know, we were talking about Anthony Bavillier uh, at the end there, and and I think it it bears kind of spending a moment on and, and somebody texted in here and said David from Kelowna looks like we won the Horvat trade Bo has 9 points Bovillia has 16 points plus we have Raddy uh, and uh, William Langley says what's with all this with people specifically on Twitter taking shots at Horvat in the past 5 days like he was the core of the problems all of a sudden the results may not have been what any of us expected but we all know the problems with this team go beyond a single player and you know wants to acknowledge the good mm-hmm. things Bo Horvat did. that's from William Langley others text again and saying Bo sucks now and yada yada I mean you get a lot of that stuff, right? The reality is, if you really, if you really want to evaluate a trade, it takes a couple of years. You know, like it's easy to do the power rankings of trades in the moment can look, you know, sway one way to another. It can go different ways. But right now, and we'll see what Ratu does, and it's been very little from him. They were able to flip the first and get Heronic, so we'll see how he fits in. And the other thing they were able to do here is to get Bavilia, and he's played well. He has 16 points, you know, well, a lot more than what Bo does. Now, different circumstances, different types of styles and everything that goes into the games. But the way Bavillier is playing and on track to have a career season, I mean, we've known he's been a good fit, but he just continues to produce. Does it reshape how we view him within what he means to this team beyond this season? Or is it simply just looking at it from the cord, cold, hard calculus people get tired of, but does he just increase his value for trade? Or is there, or this is this actually a guy the team should be looking to, you know, have as part of the solution? Keeping the folds? Yeah, it's... First off, he's undoubtedly done the former, right? Like he's increased mm-hmm. his trade value. Just because he... Breaks out of an offense or a defensive system in the island and now can prove, hey, I, I can score goals. If you put me in positions, I will produce points. Yes. He's obviously scoring some goals too, but he's producing points and he shows he can play along elite side playmakers, which life's easier for everyone when you're playing alongside great players. But to show that you can do it, a lot of guys have gotten opportunities in top six roles on bad teams or middling teams that don't show much so yes. he's he's showing that and we get into these conversations so much of well garland and brock look there's a reality that exists that teams don't want to take that on that we've discussed 
And the Canucks right now are in a situation where they can't be inflexible with ideas. And if a scenario develops where Beauvillier is the one that teams are going to look at because it's a little bit cheaper and he's producing at this rate. It has a good track record in the postseason. Yeah. And also no, no term on that. Is that the one that teams try to covet instead? Mm-hmm. And is that the one of the ways that this team can solve a primary problem is A, opening up cap space, but B, finding a solution on the blue line. And if they feel that, you know, as much as I'm really enjoying the way Anthony Bavilli is playing and he's fitting in on a big line with Elias Pettersson, he's also the third piece on that line. Yeah. And it... it Don't get married to the third pieces. Because the thing with third pieces, they can have a big variance year to year. So the high year, it's like, man, this guy's a 30-goal guy. The next year kind of goes back down. It's really dependent on circumstance for them to be able to give you the production. He's very much a luxury piece that yes. is worked out and... Again, I would want to hit the button on other certain players first, but if it materializes that you can't do that, but Beauvillier is the one that helps helps you solve the defense problem, mm-hmm. then that's the one that they should be trying to explore too. It, it certainly, certainly shouldn't be out of the equation for them. But, again, I'm going through the, the Rolodex before I end up on the list of Anthony Beauvillier is something that you have to solve, but full credit to him because he's coming here. It's always a tough situation, team losing, new spot, and he is uh, producing. And as Randy highlighted, like he deserves a lot of credit for uh, that goal, the the second goal, yeah, because how much work he does to win a battle, not even against the boards, like in open ice, fending a guy off and poking that puck free and getting to Elias Pettersson. To me, the big, most important thing that we're seeing from him is he's a player that's increasing his value. Mm-hmm. How, how, however you want to view that as, either as a player that you think they should hold on to or a guy that they can move off of. Regardless, it's a positive of how well Anthony Bavilia has played and despite the Canucks losing tonight 3-2 in Arizona and, against the Coyotes. Like That's what we always talk about with cap flexibility. It's not necessarily the, the actual space, right? You have to separate flexibility with space. Flexibility to me is... Are your assets liquid enough to say, hey, here's $4 million out. Now what can I do with this $4 million? That, to me, is flexibility. If you're improving your stock as an asset, that's a good thing for the organization because it allows them to be flexible. They're not locked into anything. No, and he's a guy that brings you value one way or another. Uh, David from Kelowna, jokes per 60. Make sure you sign Bavillier before Pedersen. <laughs> uh, I like that one. Ray in East Van, Bavillier's done well, but let's not kid ourselves. Anyone playing with PD is going to get a bump in production, sell high and take the W. Ray in East Van, Brandon in Vancouver, keeping him means our left side is Mikheyev, Bavillier put Coles in. I don't know how strong that really is. It's kind of setting for a high floor, low ceiling. That's a good point from Brandon in Vancouver and Curtis Olin, echoing a lot of the similar sentiments. What would Bavillier be without Pedersen or Miller? Fair enough. Mm-hmm. He has, however, played on more stringent, stingy teams and, and with the New York Islanders in the past, but also has had a chance to play with Barzell and, and never had the production. It clearly is something to factor in. Like He's playing with guys that are consistent porn producers and have been the last few years, and that plays a part into it. But we've also seen guys play with consistent porn producers and not be this productive. There's a different difference between Chase on giving you, you know, ten goals on right. the season, your guy, and you know, Bavillier being at nearly a point per game pace. So you got to give the guy credit too, and not just to, you know say is who he's playing with. But a lot of good reaction here on the text inbox six fifty six fifty. Ratu is a third piece is a great trade is another text. All right, we'll get to more of your text messages here as the show goes on, and we are going to hear from Canucks head coach Rick talking on the other side. But Bick. Let's just wrap a couple things up uh, in terms of how this game came to be. We briefly spoke to 
ran deep about this, but honestly, in many ways, it simply came down to special teams tonight. And one thing, as much as people are, you know, gloating about Bavillier and saying, look at Bo and look at Bavillier and everything, one thing is also indisputable. The Canucks power play has not been able to find an identity yet and find the rhythm they want since they've traded Bo Horvat. And it's still very much a work in progress. And to me, that's okay, because you have a lot of good players. It's going to take a while to figure it all out. But if that power play is working tonight and your PK is okay, you win this hockey game. The game's a wrap early because you, of how many you had in the early part of this game. There's always this struggle to find Elias Pettersson on this power play. And they they fade him up top. They put him towards the, the blue line. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that they want to highlight. Like, that's their primary weapon. I've, I've mentioned, like, Independence Day. It's like, this is the thing that they're leading up to. They want to get this one-timer. You know, one thing that he struggles with is he's always he's not always willing to shoot it yeah he had one uh, a one timer in the second period and and honestly it looked like they were trying to go low far post on the goalie a lot this evening Pedersen had a one timer put it along the ice along the far post Garland tried that later on I think Besser tried to do it as well and didn't really come off but honestly like Pedersen wasn't active enough on the power play mm-hmm. to try to generate the chance he obviously scores the goal later on but they tr- they want to feature it, but they don't pull enough threats away from them. And like Miller being on the other side means you don't have to respect the one timer opportunity. It takes some work to get that shot off of on uh, Miller's flank. They put Kuzmenko there; he had a chance uh, on a one timer, but stick explodes. And their goal is to get the puck to Patterson, but doesn't come off with enough frequency. A because how difficult it is to move it for him to get a clear shot and. He's just got to be more willing to just rifle it yeah, all the time. Yeah, 100%, right? And, and I think that's the – you have to be so selfish in that mm-hmm. spot too. And if he is it, – but it's going to take some time, I think, to create some foundational landmarks of where you're trying. Like as, as, I know we talked about how the Canucks were almost too predictable at times despite being a good power play. It was either to Bo or it was to Pedersen. But you almost need to have some some like – I hate to use a word again, structure, but almost some level of structure mm-hmm. of like, this is what we're trying to find. Well, the, the, like the, the, There is something we're trying to find that we're going to be leaning on consistently. What's your go-to play? Right? Like, I'm, I'm going to use an NFL reference here. It's third and two. Yes. Super Bowl on the line, whatever. Like, you have, you have something. It used to be for the Canucks, the play where we would see Hughes to Miller, down low, Besser, Kuzmenko, whoever, to Horvat. That, that was the play. From the point to the half wall to below the goal line to the slot. That was the play. And everything was built off of that. And they don't really have that. And look, it's fine for these last 15 games to, to not have that. Experiment. Try a bunch of different things. Tr- come training camp. That's when it's important. You, you better be top 10 power play come next season. And there were snippets that we've seen here recently where Hughes and Miller were far more active, willing to move around the entire zone. Mm-hmm. That's kind of faded away. And so this uh, this attempt to get Elias Pettersson near the, the blue line to take one-timers to me was always misguided, and it hasn't really brought any fruit. So this attempt to, to, 
to force feed it to him way above the circles to me isn't a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's more about get him to shoot the puck more, not necessarily with the same type of shot all the time. And I think that's the maybe the change that needs to happen. A lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. This one here says, don't understand why Myers gets a pass so frequently by the media and fans when he's responsible for, at minimum, a goal a game and usually two to four needless penalty minutes. I mean, it's. I feel like sometimes like there's 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 like real cognitive dissonance in this market in terms of like, you guys never talk like, is there a defenseman in Vancouver who's been maligned more than Tyler Myers these past five years? OEL's giving him a run for his money, but he's been here a year and like three quarters. Nowhere near the duration. I mean, I think what it is, is like a lot of us, we've had so much Myers discussion over the years. There's a level of Myers fatigue. Like we all, it's, it's kind of like the, we all know he's a problem. We all know he's not very good. We all know he's having a real tough season. We all I never know. watched the movie, but we don't talk about Bruno kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, kind of. He's like, we just kind of know. Yeah. You know? So I think that's part of it, but I'd say he's a guy that gets consistently discussed and criticized. And all the discussion around him has been, how do you get rid of his contract? How do you move him? The bonus guy. I mean, that, that's been the discussion point around Tyler Myers. It's very clear he hasn't been great, and he had a tough one defensively, at least on two of the goals that Arizona scored tonight. Yeah, it's the giveaway is a tough one. And, you know, the the... In general, like he's been better, and I saw we got a text here earlier just talking about how Myers, you know, for a couple of games was better, and obviously the Leafs game yeah, was one Yeah, he had that, a couple of games he was better, yeah. But, yeah, he, he struggled too. And, and look, this is what's going to happen. Like, the structure conversation, yes, they have improved. They're not going to be perfect about it every single game. Like, they didn't suddenly turn into the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. And this is why we've talked about the last two games. The structure is nice. You still need the talent level to raise. I think there's this expectation that coaches are supposed to take AHL players and turn them into Stanley Cup champions. Yes. That's it's not baked in reality. You practice what you have, and you try to highlight players' strengths. And right now, it's, it's a team searching for some strengths, and the structure helps to simplify the game. But it's still a simplified game. You still have to execute well. Tonight, they didn't execute at all. No, they didn't. Tyler Myers struggles to move the puck and delays his decision. Ends up with a Travis Boyd goal. Kyle Burrows delays his decision on a PK. Ends up in a goal. There was problems tonight. But it's rooted in execution. That stuff can get better. But this idea that, oh, the structure is gone now. Like, you're going to lose games. Oh, yeah, you are. That stuff is going to happen, right? A lot of reaction on text inbox. Craig uh, Krez from Coquitlam. Can't stand these people talking about who won the trade. It's been a month. Ask Arsenal and Man United about the Nectarian-Sanchez trade. For those unfortunate enough to not follow soccer, no one ended up winning that trade, and neither player lasted more than two years at the clubs. And, I mean, you got to give some time. I mean, hey. It's all fine. You can have your takes and discuss things. But yes, it takes time to truly evaluate how trades, uh, who's winning a trade or not. All right. We'll discuss that a bit more. We'll get to more of your text messages. But let's go to the phone boards and get a call in here before the break. 604-280-0650. And let's go to Vancouver where Michael is on the line. Michael, thanks for calling in. What do you have for us tonight? Uh, Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, man. Uh, Well, I just had a question. If you are a board team tank, how would you want the Canucks to lose their remainder games, like if they lose a decent chunk of them, like offense dry up, defense dry up, goaltending go back to awful. So that's my question. Oh, that, yeah, that's a great question. Great question. Uh, thanks for the phone call, Michael. And so, um, I, I'd say.
day, scoring drying up would be I could live with that because I think it's going to be a lot of bounce back anyways. Like I don't I don't worry about the offense being there next year. So if they had to tank, I'd rather see them have get good goaltending and play well defensively and lose than get bad goaltending and or bad defense and score a lot and lose. You have to choose one. Yeah, that would be my take on it. When we sp- spend so much time, kind of like what we saw tonight. Defense. Yeah, if, if if that's what we're talking about. Uh, but it wasn't like yeah, it was yeah. Hey, it's not perfect. No losses. No loss is perfect. <laughs> it wasn't a perfect loss. Yeah, but, but a close game. Because I mean, I, I do think like if maybe you, not as frustrating. Now, I would say goaltending if it wasn't Demko playing. Because I'm like, I don't care. Sure. has <laughs> Spencer Martin, go, go at it. I don't care. Get lit up every night. But like the games where we saw like 6-4 against the Rangers, like something like that. Yeah. 4-3 versus the Rangers. Spencer Martin's last game, I believe, or that was the Detroit game. Like those ones where it's close and if if that's what we're talking about. Yes. Close games. <laughs> they were close games. Exactly. Lose close games. Uh, coming up, Shorthouse. Lou Shore hopes both last longer than two years on the island. Uh, that's uh, coming up, Shorthouse. Yes. Hopefully. He's got a, got a big contract. We'll see how long Lou lasts on the island. That's a different question. All right. We'll get to more of your text messages. You can grab a phone uh, line as well. 604-280-0650 or toll-free. 1-888-275-0650. We'll talk more about Elias Patterson. How valuable is he to this team, especially when it comes to creating surplus value for other players? We'll discuss that, and we'll hear from Rick Tockett as the Canuck Central postgame show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central postgame show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Kyle Burrows ties it up along the boards, trying to kill time in his own end. Coyotes dig it free, and Boyd passes behind the goal to Keller in the left-wing corner. Clayton Keller leads near circle. Travis Boyd going to the goal, backhand chance, he scores! Beautiful move by Travis Boyd to the side of the net as he scores his second of the game on the backhand between the legs of Thatcher Demko, and the Coyotes take a 2-1 lead. And the former Vancouver Canuck gets his second goal of the game. Travis Boyd leads the way for the Coyotes as they beat the Canucks 3-2. And this is the Canucks Center postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll free one 275 0650. And, you know, we are going to get to head coach Rick Tockett in a moment, and we are going to play a clip from former Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau. A lot of former Canucks head coaches in recent years, but this one from Bruce Boudreau. Bruce Talking, back on the postgame show. Back on the postgame show again. We, we will not get to him before we get to Tockett, however. We'll, we'll keep giving preferential treatment to the current head coach of the Vancouver Canucks in Rick Tockett. But uh, he had some interesting things to say about Elias Patterson, who we'll talk about as well. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's having a career year himself, 85 points now in the season. Not only is the discussion about his next contract, the captaincy, but 
how much can he elevate the guys next to him? And uh, that's a discussion we'll have coming up in a moment's time here. But this one here from Jazzy, we need to see more of this going forward. PD scoring and the Canucks losing. All we need, though, is Demko to have a few have fewer starts. That's Jazzy. And I still wouldn't bet on Demko playing fewer games. But is this the game we saw maybe him have the most trouble? Not that he was bad, but a couple uh... of goals. On, on, you know what? It wasn't his best game, but and I don't think it's unfair to say on, a couple I, of the goals. Two of the goals probably could have done better on. Let me clarify this, actually. On the goals, he looked bad. Overall, I mean, he didn't face a ton of... Yeah, like, uh, in total, I would say he was fine. Um, but the, the the Boyd goal, obviously, that one sneaks in between. And still, you know, I would still, still say, like, that... First Boyd goal didn't really, or the second Boyd goal didn't really look intentional. Mm-hmm. So if you're reading it, does it come off the stick a bit funny? Not what yeah. you're expecting. So again, not a good look, but I, I can understand that one. The the Kraus goal that we talked about, he's cheating off of the post, and Lawson Kraus takes advantage. But because we had seen so much of Thatcher Demko sparkling in his return. Like, I'm less concerned about that. If this was the first game, you'd say, okay, he's working his way back. Yeah. If it had continued, we'd say, all right, so some work to do. But this is obviously just a one-off for Thatcher Demko. He'll play one on the weekend, and I'm sure we'll see his regular stellar self against LA or Anaheim. Yeah, and I'm not sure we're going to see him play less. So if you're looking at that being the key. Well, they had said that they didn't want to play him four or five in a row. Yeah. but Well, but yeah. now they had played four in a row. But what what do we do, though? Right now, four in a row. No, not more than three to four in a row is what they said. If four in a row, he's probably not starting on Saturday. Was then. not four to five? What's that? He said, he said not more than, yeah, I guess four to five. Yeah. So maybe one more start. Maybe well, you squeeze he one started more. four. And do one more against LA. Then I, gets... I thought four or five was the number. I thought it'd be three in a row yeah, and then stop that's, at that's four. That's kind of what I thought too, right? And we'll, we'll see ultimately if he gets the fifth in a row. But even when we did the math based on three starts and then rest, we said... 14. 14 starts. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's it's still at a number where it's going to be a high, a relatively high number of Demko starts the rest of the way. So that's what I would expect from Thatcher Demko. We'll get to more of your text messages uh, and more of your reaction coming up here in a few minutes' time. But we mentioned Canucks head coach Rick Talkin, and here he is after the Canucks snapped their five-game winning streak in Arizona against the Coyotes. Yeah, the power play wasn't good. We were sleepy tonight. It just wasn't a good effort from our team. From the get-go, you thought you were sleepy? Yeah, we had three power play. You know, we got that goal, and then uh, maybe we thought it was going to be easy. It's a hard-working team. They outworked us tonight. Plain and simple. Then we were over five in the power. The power play was sleepy too. You mix things up in the third period with some of your lines. Was that just to try to get something going? Yeah, well, I mean, I just needed to find some workers. Um, and honestly, we, you know, we, we when I changed, I thought we started to come. So maybe I should have done earlier. Why do you think the group was a little sleepy to start? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's my job to get them prepared. I guess I didn't get them prepared. You know, we had a day off yesterday. Maybe that's it. I don't. I don't know. But I didn't like our game at all. You know, third, we tried to make a comeback, but didn't like it at all. PK was uh, exposed a little bit tonight too. Yeah, every every part of the get our game, like I said, you know, a lot of stick checking. You know, maybe you know, a little high on ourselves. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. You know, we got to get back to our work work boots. That hasn't happened much recently, though. Games like no, I mean, yeah, I mean that's good, uh, but still, you know, um, you know, just you know, like I said, it's hard to describe this game. Because like I said, I just I didn't feel like we were really into it. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. And despite the fact that Canucks had been on a five-game winning streak, uh, he was not very happy. I mean, that was 70 seconds of displeasure. 
70 seconds? 70 seconds. So hit the under on that. Yeah, hit the under. 72 seconds? 70 seconds, 72 seconds. It was under yeah. 80 seconds. We're getting the nod from Eddie Gregory, so yes. there you go. Yeah, it was 70. There 70 we go. Seconds. There we go. So 70 seconds, and uh, he had in, no, in that time, he said they were sleepy tonight, not good enough, <sighs> sleepy on the PP. Sleepy. They outworked us. I needed to find some workers tonight. Played better after mixing in lines. Maybe I should have done it sooner. And he topped it off with, had a day off. I guess I didn't do enough to prepare them well. So... Um, that's a lot of which was a phrase we heard from previous coaches too. Yeah, this time you have them on, prepared better. He said, "Hey, it's on me." And I, I, I'm sure what's going to happen. What what happened with the other coaches was, yeah, I got to get them prepared more. And then Boudreau got to the point where he's like, "I don't know what else to do. I told them everything I can tell them." <laughs> so uh, we'll see if the tune changes here from the head coach. But we 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 guessed this when we had Randeep on. Don't think the coach is going to be too happy with the effort tonight because it wasn't like you know they were horrible, but it, it was, they, they could have controlled the result. They could have exactly. And when you squander the first period, which was full of opportunities, and you let them all burn away, and you spend six minutes on the power play, and you don't convert, tonight was in your control. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, all the power plays in the first period, yeah, could have put this up to three nothing. They don't. And he mentions being sleepy. <laughs> sleepy, yes. Just put you Why? to sleep. Why? It's 10.13 p.m. Pacific. <sighs> I want to fall asleep. Okay, stop. You're gonna, yeah. Hey, listen. We still got. We still have an hour and 15 minutes to go on the post-game show. And if we're not, <laughs> if we're not wide awake by the time IMAC joins us, he's going to... He's gonna have a strict talking yeah. to you. you know. He's gonna he's, he's not gonna be very happy with with us if, if, if that's what happens. So we'll, we'll try to wake up here, but I'm not surprised by his reaction. Again, because it's it'd be one thing if you just got beat and you're competing, they're competing. Hey, bounces go against you. That sort of stuff happens. But imagine the the message. It's going to be everything that unfolded. Mm-hmm. We had every opportunity to take advantage of the game and special teams. Yeah, it's it's the thing that. Kills them tonight. First period, they blow it on the power play and two penalty kill goals. And here they are. They'd make all this progress on the penalty kill. Travis Boyd and Lawson Kraus undo that uh, tonight. Yeah, I mean, uh, and Lawson Kraus did a pretty good job as well finding the top corner. Uh, and I mean, I would say Demko kind of got stuck a little bit on that play. Nils Oman's trying to. Oh my, you know what? Let's he's break. kind of stuck in the middle. Okay, you know what? We obviously we didn't break down the goal uh, that happened in the third period. Let's break that down for a second. I mean, this is what happens when you're too passive on the PK and you don't pressure and you end up opening seams by not pressuring. And Niels Oman, if you want to use tape to describe that, and, and and he's done a good job since coming back, mm-hmm. and we've been positive. But there was a lot of this is how this is how you don't defend on the PK with Niels Oman, which led to the three-two goal early in the third. A little slow to push out uh, towards, I think it was Soderstrom at the top, and doesn't really influence his decision on the pass. He's got a stick across his body, and the pass goes right next to him. Mm-hmm. So you're not you're influencing. not occupying the lane. You, we, we say keep your stick in the right lane. He didn't have the stick in the lane. And look, I get it. You're trying to potentially stop the pass or yeah. stop the shot. Or block the shot with the stick. But now your body's not really in the right lane either. You're not coming from an angle to push the puck in a certain direction. So the three options, yeah, okay, you kind of took away the shot, but you're not really pressuring him mm-hmm. uh, to speed up the decision either. So you're, you're slow, you're central, you're not taking an angle, and it opens up this nice lane all the way down uh, right to the goal where Lawson Kraus, uh, you know, the, that, that three-layer pass is tough to do, and, and D-men are always looking for it. 
uh, Kraus was the beneficiary of Soderstrom finding him through that lane. And that, that seam opens up, and Demko's trying to struggle and read the play on the fly as it goes from the point to right in front of him. And, yeah, it's, it goes short side. Teaching moment. Again, you're not going to be perfect every single night. And this is a young player, obviously, but there's one where Nils Oman probably wants to drag that stick into the lane and then work his way towards Soderstrom. Yeah, and it's just small things, but it's a small thing that's a big thing. And that's kind of, in many ways, encompasses what we saw earlier this season. The small details which lead to big things, and that's ultimately a, a problem. And we even saw that on the on the first power play goal they scored um, in the second period. With Boyd and Myers. With Boyd and Myers. Yeah. Cha- but in, even we talk about where Burroughs has the puck along the walls, and he has a chance behind his net, behind the goal line, to either get the puck to a teammate or get the puck out but but there's three players standing and they're standing spaced away sleepy sleepy maybe maybe sleepy right i mean the defenseman wasn't close behind the net for him to get the puck or in front or right there was no forward getting closer to the goal line for him to make the quick play to get the puck out so you have to hold hold on to the puck for a second then tyler myers chases up Pedersen doesn't rotate back and, and then, he doesn't try to flip it out because he's on his backhand yeah so at burrow's and I understand why he does yeah. it. So he holds it against the wall to not turn the puck over. But the support isn't there. And then you see the goalie looking. You can see Demko can see this, right? Demko's looking over and seeing, okay, these guys are not on the same page. Burroughs is getting eaten up. He sees Myers chasing up. And then you can see as soon as the puck turns around with Boyd, there's a two-on-one going downhill, and, and Pedersen's not covering, covering her up. So what because is Demko- Pedersen's trying to – so when Boy- when Keller comes up and right. Myers is chasing him, Keller's trying to pick up – or. Uh- Patterson's trying to pick up Keller. He, he's trying to pick off the pass, assuming Keller's going to go to the point. Yes. And so he's above the puck. He's trying to make... sneaks in below. Exactly. So he's been pushing towards. But as soon as that happens, it's clear there's a two-on-one yeah. going downhill. And you can see Demko all of a sudden is aware, scared of the backdoor. What did we talk about after the first period? We said, hey, when you take away the backdoor play, your goalie's so confident. He can come out and challenge. You know, he can make the, the save. And you're not giving much away a backdoor. You're feeling confident. Well, as soon as the goalie's scared about the backdoor, what happens? He cheats a bit. He gets stuck a little bit. Happened on both the goals, which happened against Vancouver. And, and that shows you how quickly that trust we talk about can kind of go away. It's just one sequence. And a goalie can tell, you're off kilter. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. And that's how it all kind of breaks down. And the PK woes, there's a reason the Canucks PK has been sub 70%. Even when they played better, they have these types of breakdowns, right? That's something that, that keeps happening time and time again. A lot of reaction on text inbox, 650, 650. Uh, William texted, hey, at least you didn't call him soft this time. That's yes. progress. Yes. Uh, somebody texted in and said, you guys cut the clip, and that's on uh, the Boudreaux, I'm sorry, the Rick Talkett interview at the end. That's not cutting the clip, and we, we'll get... Uh, I, I understand what people wonder about, but this is what it is. As soon as an interview ends, and before the mic turns off, there's a muffling that happens, and that gets cut out, so you don't hear like... When the clip ends. That, that's what we try to avoid. Or the ambiance of the yes. conversation before the scrum gets yeah. going. So the edit that you hear is not words being edited out. It's ambiance and just riffraff being cut out. Radio 101. There we go. I didn't even ones. hear it. This time. It's... You're used to it. Yeah, because I'm, we're I'm radio now. But yeah, somebody's like, I gotcha. You guys hiding something. So that's the uh, no Sapruder film here. It doesn't match up with what it shows on social <laughs> media. You are wrong on the radio side. Uh, D in Abbotsford, 650-650. Hi, guys. Uh, several Canucks players took the night off, period. Myers was Myers again. Brock took the night off. No hustle or urgency. Several other players played like deer in headlights. D in Abbotsford. Thank you. Uh, yeah, again, that's the thing. It's, it was kind I of- know you guys were talking on Canucks Central. Is Brock turning a corner? It's 
nice game. Yeah, it's game. Turning a corner is doing it regularly yeah. over time. And you know what, too? And, and habits. And, and I mean, to be fair, I mean, the Canucks have improved some habits, but we talk about it's a work in progress. Breaking habits is hard, and doing something consistently is difficult. And at the same time, you're going to have some stinkers here and there, right? And the Canucks are coming off a five-game winning streak. And ultimately, we'll see what they do this weekend. With, with back-to-backs coming up in L.A. and Anaheim, I don't think it's going to be super easy for them, despite the fact Anaheim's the second of a back-to-back, which is an easier opponent. But we saw what happened tonight against the Coyotes, of course. Just because the Canucks won five in a row, Bic, I don't think means the Canucks have necessarily found something that they're going to be a winning team consistently the rest of the season. Like, it's great what they've done, this, this little spell here, right? Well, let's see what happens in the next 15 games here. Talent is still important in this conversation. And... Uh- Honestly, like tonight was a night where you kind of get re excited to to think about a Philip Ronick in the lineup, just to see what it looks like. Again, not expecting it until April, but yeah, tonight was a night where they could have used a little bit more puck movement, and where they have been as sleepy with a couple of more transition opportunities and moving the puck a bit more efficiently. They they, they kind of struggled to move the puck tonight. They did. They, they had a hard time with it in defense. You know, when they get pressure and the teams play with structure, it's harder to move the puck. And you see some of the defensemen, as much as they've acquitted themselves better with how they're playing and everything, we're talking about a lot of journeymen defensemen. And when they're under pressure more and they're and teams are playing better and making fewer mistakes, there's less outlets available. So how many plays can you make in those situations? And you're seeing it get harder and harder. And that's why, as much as this newfound defense with journeymen and, and talk at structure, it's all positive individually and everything. But it's way too early to think these guys are part of the answer any way or another. One way or another. So I'm not concerned about it. So so I'm not sold on it at all. And I think tonight was another example of as much as we'd like what these defensemen are doing, these journeymen guys, let's see more before we really start buying into them being answers or not. Dino says, it's a small thing. That's a big thing. I can totally see that on a t-shirt. But we should print them and sell them. Uh, this one sounds like Demko played tonight like it was earlier in the season, not trusting his defense, cheating towards a pass. Good news for Tank Nation. Bad news for Team Retool. <laughs> Team Retool is not anti, uh, like a, top pick yeah i i think we just get lost in timelines here yes and overall execution of pushing this team towards competitiveness yeah no totally absolutely uh ian and dunbar seven seconds 70 seconds of displeasure can i use that (laughs) i mean i don't know if you want to but you can uh you can okay how about this text here uh this is from noonan how long does Ronick being out become a thing? Listening to Canuck Central with Scott Wheeler, I'm getting more and more disappointed with this decision. And Scott Wheeler essentially said, obviously, hey, if it was up to him, he'd love to have the, the Canucks with another selection mm-hmm. in the second round pick because of their draft. And he, I mean, hey, it's a completely fair argument. We've, we've talked about the value of draft picks. The one thing I would say, though, in general, scouts never like trades. Scouts well, don't course, like trading yeah. draft picks. Like, scouts are always going to say, "I'll find you the next Ronick. I'll this guy's find the next Gretzky." This, yeah, and I'm not I'm not downplaying anything Scott says, but I always say, like generally speaking, uh, scouts don't like trading draft picks. They're like, yeah, let's use these draft picks. You don't take toys them. away. No, you don't. And and I think it is interesting though because the Ronick decision was a big one. And I mentioned this on Canuck Central earlier on the pregame. Oh, sorry, on the pregame show before we got to the game on TV, that I think OEL is going to try to play again this season. Like, I don't think he's shut down yet. And Hironik's another guy going to come in and play this season. I think both those guys, especially Hironik, who's the guy they, they traded for and gave up a lot of assets for, I think they kind of want to get a sense of how these guys look yeah. look a little bit here. Oh, yeah, big decision coming up on his future, of course. Not a complicated, it's not a complicated one. But Hironik, they certainly want to get a look at. And I think those concerns and questions about is he the right player or not, 
We're not going to know till next year and beyond, to be honest. But until we get a real look at him in a Canucks uniform, that's it's difficult to quite say how it's all going to work out. And, again, you can kind of play two sides on this, too. In one regard, yeah, you, you want to see him play. But there's also a bigger picture here, too. So if he's not ready to play, not shut him down, but take your time. No rush here. Yeah. Make sure you're right. Before you come back, you don't need to be 85% because we're pushing for this playoff spot or something right now. Come back at 100%, and when you're ready, yeah, we'll play you and we'll see what you look like. And that's why like, it's going to take some time for him to get practicing and up to full speed. And that's why we've kind of talked about mm-hmm. April feels like the earliest opportunity there. So how many games is he missing till then? Uh, is that eight games? Yeah, because there's seven games in April. Um Eight games away. And, and and that's putting it kindly right now. Mm-hmm. That's saying like seven games right now is my highest expectation for Philip Ronick. And so like whatever the schedule, the, the results look like, you can say, yeah, it's, it's not that big of a deal. You you get right, and we'll see what you look like when you come into the lineup then. And then at that stage, like I, I can understand the disappointment in Noonan saying like we send out a first-round pick. We haven't seen what this guy looks like. No, I get of course. it. But- and even, I mean, like, you know, uh, peeling curtain back, we, we talked about this and joked about this on air. But, like, you know, we, we always try to think of content, right? And mm-hmm. we think of building out content. So next few weeks, like, what are some things we're going to focus in on? And one of the things that we discussed quite a bit, especially on Central, to focus in on, and even on the post-game show a bit, was, hey, with the Canucks potentially having two first round picks this year and having another high second round pick, you know, we can really dig into the draft and and set it up and talk about, hey, not just about the top 10 where the Canucks are going to pick with their own Mm -hmm. pick most likely, but what about the top 16, 20? And hey, what about early in the second round and sleepers who may fall? There's a lot of things to talk about. And all of a sudden the wind's Eh. taken out of your sails, right? Because it's like you can talk about those things, but it doesn't have the same weight for fans. They're not as engaged in in draft talk when the Canucks don't have as many draft picks. So for us too, from a content standpoint, it's like, yeah, we wish they had more draft picks. But all I care about Bick more than anything is this being a good hockey team. Mm-hmm. That's all I care about. Make this a good hockey team. Clearly, they have a different vision of building this team than a lot of people have in terms of the timeline and how they're going to go about it. I just hope Hironik's a good player. Because if if he's the righty defenseman who's a legitimate top-pairing guy, then whatever the Canucks gave up for him is worth it. So that's what it comes down to ultimately at this stage. You know, We can sit here and discuss what we would do you got to get these moves right. And if you do, then you might be on to something. Especially if he either handles a pair on his own or like really beefs up a Quinn Hughes-Philip Peronic pairing. And I'm not saying he could be the worst version of himself and just get carried by Quinn Hughes. I mean, be a solid contributor next to Quinn Hughes. So you're and, talking Devon Taves, and, and not actually, saying be him, but like I'm, I'm. You're amending that pairing to a different pairing. Yeah, I'm choosing a new prototype. Okay, a lot of prototype conversation. All right, because when you're comparing that, it's the newest one that we've seen. So I understand why people jump to that one because it's two really solid defenders, different hand, and they play together. I get it, but like Quinn Hughes is not really Kale McCarr from a style point of view. If there's a guy recently that we've looked at and say, Queen News is akin to this, and I'm just saying stylistically. I know Roman Yossi's probably got a better shot, scored more goals, but as far as playing styles, very much rovers, very good passers, frequent the same kind of areas on the ice. Roman Yossi's a bit more direct as he's a bit older as well. But that to me is kind of that style. When did Roman Yossi really start to take off? 
He played with Ryan Ellis. Mm-hmm. Ryan Ellis, not your traditional, hey, I'll stay at home. But he moves the puck very effectively. Moves the puck very Gets effectively. Puck, got to pucks very effectively. Unbelievable shot. Yes. Right shot. Not a physically imposing D-man. Was willing to be physical, but he's not 6'4", 2'30", or something like that. Didn't win the game off the bus, basically. So Philip Ronick, six foot. Mm -hmm. Good right-hand shot. Moves the puck really well. Skates really well. Defensively sound. That, to me, is the, the pairing I look like. It's a Yossi Ellis, to me is really the, the the model of what Hughes, Roenick, if they play together, yeah. could be. Well, if they play together and work together, and if for next year you can find a second pairing you can rely on. You know, and that's ultimately what it is. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you look at it now, and do you feel like you have a second pairing with any of these guys? You know, OEL, Myers. Mm-hmm. Probably not, right? That's probably that's not what it looks like. Tyler says this group uh, better hope Hronik just came back to uh, to the ice at this point, then make a second top level D pair. Hronik can't be with Hughes, or that is a waste of picks. That's Tyler. I think it comes down to again, like the, the thing is, the Canucks need two more top four defensemen long term. You got to find more. And whether you play, I think the reason you play Hughes and Hronik together is because you have a second pair you can rely on. The reason you split them up is because you don't have a second pair you can rely on. That's what it comes down to. It's a luxury if you can play those guys together. Can you get enough defensemen into the fold, Bick, where you have the luxury of having Hironic and Hughes together? I, I would just love to see it for the rest of the season. Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter for the rest, rest mm-hmm. of this year. If, sure. if, if no changes happen immediately, then, yeah, it, the, the most logical thing is to put two qualified defenders on a team that's lacking consistent defensive contributions to put them apart and try to stabilize two different pairings. Absolutely. But I, I, do, I do just want to see what it looks like. Yes. No, absolutely. Uh, we'll discuss that more. We'll get to more of your text messages. Brandon and Poco. Tyler Myers is receiving a lot of criticism from Canucks fans. But in his defense, it's tough to see what's happening on the ice when your head touches the sky. That's uh, Brandon and Poco. Jokes for 60 coming in. All right. Uh, a lot of takes. Uh, we'll get to more of those. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux and Elias Patterson. And we'll hear from Quinn Hughes as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central post-game show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Soderstrom from the line, the right circle for Moser. Back to Soderstrom, out of the left circle for Michelli, watched by JT Miller. Michelli back to the line for Soderstrom, side of the goal, loss, and Kraus scores from a tough angle. Coyotes get their second power play goal of the game off the stick of Lawson. Kraus just 119 into the third, and it's 3-1 Arizona. Not the start that the Vancouver Canucks wanted. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's my job to get prepared. I guess I didn't get them prepared. You know, we had a day off yesterday. Maybe that's it. I don't, I don't know, but I didn't like our game at all. You know, third, we tried to make a comeback, but didn't like it at all. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett postgame. Did not like... How the Canucks performed this game tonight. Didn't like how they prepared. Uh, called it a bit. 
sleepy, call it a bit of everything uh, here, but it wasn't too enamored with how the Vancouver Canucks performed tonight, losing 3-2 against the Arizona Coyotes uh, right here on Sportsnet 650. And the Canucks, well, they got a couple of goals. Elias Pettersson got a tally, and so did Andre Kuzmenko. And our text inbox 650-650 is full of a lot of reaction. Uh, uh, this one here says, what is Hironic's injury? Would like to know where what we gave those picks up for. A shoulder injury. UBI. Yes, UBI. But yeah, shoulder. Yes. At least that's the very educated guess. Because I don't think it's been officially said, but I think Detroit may have uh, alluded to the idea of being a shoulder. Yes. So, yes. Shoulder injury. Yes. Make sure he's right. Yeah, I mean... I'd say that it's one of those things. It's not bad enough to keep him out for the rest of the season because if it was, he wouldn't play. Like mm-hmm. he wouldn't be like coming back. So I don't think it's one of those be worried long term type of injuries uh, for Philip Heronic, but clearly something to keep an eye on. And when he does ultimately return to the lineup, now when it comes to Canucks players on the ice here tonight, one player who did meet, meet with the media post game was Canucks defenseman Quinn Hughes, and here he is talking about what happened in Arizona against the Coyotes. What was you guys been playing? Is there any any, any way you could just describe what happened on the power play tonight? No, not really. Rick said he didn't think everybody was into the game. Did you did you sense that, or that maybe it was lack of energy, or? Yeah, I think they were definitely in the second period. They took it to us for sure. So I don't know if it was just all those power plays put us to sleep and uh, we didn't score any of them. So I don't know if that was momentum. But, um, yeah, they were definitely better than us in the second. And then in the third, I thought we played well. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're down by two going into the third or whatever they scored the first or second shift. I mean, you're not going to, you know, come back every time. Is it a little bit different too facing a goalie you hadn't probably haven't seen before? It's only the second time he started in the league this year. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I think that you don't really pay attention to that. I mean, he made some good saves, but also, uh, you know, I can recall a couple I put right in his stomach. So, um, you know, good on him. Uh, like you said, first couple games, so he got a good win. Uh, that is Canucks defenseman Quinn Hughes. After and they were quick to get to luck. the plane. No, I mean, uh, are, are they picking them up at their at? The, Flying what was up. that? I mean, are they? It, wait, wait. Is Muller Arena just an airport hangar? <laughs> is that what it is? That was a bit bizarre. So I'm not out to lunch when I thought I heard an airplane cutting that. <laughs> no, that that is definitely an airplane. That's a hundred percent an airplane. Yeah, you can hear up. it arrive because it disappear. There's a lot of like pallets and or that's not, not like, a pallet. That's trolleys or whatever you want to call it. Carts. Being moved around after a game? That did not sound like a cart, like loaded with equipment or anything like that. That was wild. That was wild. guess that uh, tarp cloth locker room doesn't provide a lot of sound protection. Yes. It's not great for audio quality. (laughs) No, it's not fantastic for it. And, you know, Quinn was asked what the the head coach had to say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my buddy Orange sent me a text and he's like, uh, not prepared. We heard that a lot, not just, uh, just not a lot much of late. So are we destined to have this group soon to not another head coach? I don't know if, I mean, again, like, I don't, I don't know if it's at that stage, but this is what we talk about in terms of change takes time. 
And in terms of buying into, hey, we've got the message, we've seen the light, we've had our so-called come to Jesus moment, I'll believe it when I see it next season. And in many ways, that's what it mm-hmm. is, you know? And Because tonight, when we hear him say, I don't, they weren't prepared, self-preparation, not ready to start a game, that's something now a third Canucks head coach with the same group is talking about, or at least has mentioned. Now, you can mention those things one off, two off, it happens, but is it a trend? Like anything, that's the thing, right? It's a one off. Uh, let's say a two off because we saw it against Seattle. Yes. But that was early returns of the Rick Tockett arrival. Yeah, if, if it continues, it persists. Big worry. Now, the thing is, they did score the first goal, they did draw a penalty earlier, they did get some of the best chances earlier. Kravstov hitting Bovillier in the back of the leg. Um, you know, JT was looking strong in the beginning of the game, especially in the neutral zone. They score the first goal. Besser hits the post later on. They just didn't convert to finish the game. So I, I don't know if I necessarily buy the idea that they weren't ready. They got plenty of chances. They just didn't convert on the power play. So the lion's share of chances early on in the game, aided by power plays, of course, but they... They had chances earlier. They just didn't bury them. I, I don't know if I look at that as weren't ready or just didn't execute. And, and to me, it's more execution. But you got to have that killer instinct. And then that Boyd goal right at the end of the first period is the one that takes the wind out of the sails. Because you you look back and you say, all those opportunities to make it 2 3 nothing, and now we're going in 1-1. And where's that mental strength to say, okay, it doesn't matter. Let's, let's go win the next opportunity. Arizona is the one that goes into that period thinking – Man, we got out of this with a draw. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Let's go play better the rest of the way. Well, exactly. And, and, and they were better after the opening 20, but the Canucks had all the opportunities early on. They did. I mean, and they didn't capitalize on the chances, right? And we talked about that, especially on the power play. If you don't score and you don't, you know, take advantage with the chances you have, you know, you open up the door for the other team to come in. And the Canucks weren't playing with enough intensity tonight to be able to just, hey, control the game and win a close one. They kind of needed a cushion and weren't able to build it up. Just looking at the high danger chances per natural statric, all strengths, okay, because there was a lot of power plays in that first period. High danger chances were 2 7 in favor of the Canucks, 7 to 2 in favor of the Canucks. Yes. The, you know, we can talk about not being ready. I think not closing out your opportunities is, is the thing. They drew penalties. Is that a sign of a team not being ready? And not like lazy penalties of like delay of game over the glass or something like that goalie interference or something like that. It was trips and hooks and holdings, penalties that we would traditionally look at and say, well, really working their way through contact, drawing penalties. So some not ready, but it's more to me the execution of the finish than it, than, than anything. Well, yeah, and, and that's the that's part of it too. That That's a huge part of it. Uh, and I would say too, in terms of, Let's say guys who are supposed to set the stage, and I'm not talking about guys that drag you into the fight or so to speak. It was also interesting to hear the coach kind of mention, I should have maybe made the line changes a bit earlier because when I did, things did kind of seem to change up a little bit here, right? Is that a kind of a shot to say, I need my leaders to lead the way more to some degree? Because he's like, he essentially said, hey, I, I try to trust them. And I had to do it. So it's like, hey, next time, maybe I shouldn't trust you guys to get get yourselves out of it a little bit. 
Yeah, that's a bit funny, too, because, like, this should be the experimental time. I know we get so many texts of people saying, hey, it's training camp. You can mix it up a bit more often. You can try different things a bit more often. Uh, it's obviously worked here recently because Manko is the one that comes off uh, away from, from Bovillier or away from Pedersen there for a bit. Yeah, it, it, in a game that was kind of there for the taking and you needed that little bit of sharpness, a little bit of spark, I, I'm surprised he waited so long to go to it. Uh, or maybe he's maybe he looks at it and says the losses might be important. <laughs> maybe maybe Rick Tonga should look into the mirror here. Did he do everything he could to win the hockey game? But again, <laughs> like it's the power play, right? Like you're not yeah. going to switch up the PK. Uh, the Travis Boyd one is a bit an unfortunate. The first goal, a bit of unfortunate circumstances that we talk about. Myers making a slow decision, but it was the power play or the the penalty kill that burns in the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. It's Boyd on the power play, Cross on the power yeah, and, play. And it's special teams. Like in many ways, it really was special teams. Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox six fifty six fifty C legs. Amazing loss. So when the loss, a lot of people feel good about yeah. it because of where where they find themselves in the standings. Yeah, not a lot of complaints from people tonight uh, on a night when uh, Chicago won as well against Nashville mm-hmm. two to one. Uh, so that was the only other help. But I there's still nine points got. up on Chicago. I'm just. Yeah. Outlining the rest of the scores right. tonight. San Jose got a point as well this evening, uh, which is, again, too far removed. But I'm just uh, highlighting all the other uh, scores that happened this evening. So they're in a tie now with Arizona and St. Louis, all at 63 points. St. Louis has the extra tiebreaker uh, with the regulation wins, with 21 regulation wins. Arizona has more games played, so the points percentage favors Vancouver. That's why the, they have the eighth draft slot right now with 6%. Lottery odds to win first yes. overall. Yeah, I mean, and you do improve that slightly, not significant. However, one percent. Yes, one percent. One percent. One percent. Yes. Uh, Dino says my wife feels the Canucks got goalied tonight. Well, Quinn kind of mentioned that. That yeah, yeah, played a good game, but how 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 difficult did they make it for him? How many rebound opportunities did they try to convert on? And that's why I mentioned the the opportunity of how often they shot low and to the far post. Were they trying to create rebound opportunities? Were they trying to get uh, the goalie uh, off his game? Uh, Prozvatov, were they trying to make him overcommit going post to post? But it did feel like they were attempting to go uh, far low post quite often. And... There was really nobody there on the back door consistently enough to be there for the second and third chance goal opportunities. Yes. Uh, the Coyotes, especially late in the game, when they, when they had that six on five, and it was Miller out there, Garland was out there, and Hughes were out there. It was f- five, six guys along the perimeter, one player in front of the net, and the Canucks were passing it around fantastic they were I mean, but they, they didn't really create anything well the thing the Canucks have done a good job moving the puck around because when you end up having Pedersen Hughes and Miller on the outside guess what's going to happen the puck's going to move well mm-hmm. all three of those guys move the puck well but the Coyotes stayed true in the middle yes and we're talking about creating second and third opportunities how often do you see the Coyotes try to chase after the Vancouver Canucks. Well, they didn't have to. And again, and that's also when it comes to the bumper play again, like whoever comes into that bumper spot, there's more than just getting your shot off. It's finding space, getting to pucks, and 
trying to develop that is going to take some time as well. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. Uh, Pickles and Richmond, does anyone else see Burroughs and Willannon as three fours? That pair was a fanta- was fantastic tonight, and last few games, Willannon doesn't really make mistakes. Pickles and Richmond texting in. I don't think Burroughs can be an everyday NHL player on a good defense. And Willannon certainly kind of, not elevated up the line. No, and Willannon, I like what he's done. I want to see. I want to see him get elevated more. Like we're not talking about guys who are getting really difficult matchups at this moment. Like we're talking about guys who are, are still playing lower minutes. Like as much as Willannon's, you know, done a good job here tonight. He played seventeen forty. Kyle Burrows played thirteen forty eight. They're getting a lot of offensive zone starts. They're playing well, but they're playing sheltered minutes. I, I'd say you have to take their performances with the with a grain of salt because the degree of difficulty is not super high. And that's not to say don't be impressed by what they've done and don't like what they've done, but I'd be very careful to extrapolate playing these roles into assuming that they're going to be able to handle bigger minutes really well and that they're an answer. What I'd like to see, though, Bick, is the coach maybe lean on them a bit more and not play Quinn Hughes almost 29 minutes tonight. Again, again, a lot of power plays, I get it. But Let's see if these guys can handle those minutes so the point the texture makes, we can actually validate or not. Because as long as they're being sheltered, it's hard to say they're real solutions in bigger roles. And by sheltered, it's a lot of offensive zone starts Yes, for the depth defenders. Right now, Tyler Myers is starting in his own zone a ton. Quinn Hughes is starting in his own zone a ton. And it hasn't really hurt Quinn Hughes' production the last couple, obviously. Um, not on the score sheet, but... In general, Queen Hughes is having to, to take on some burdensome minutes here and allow the Willanis and the Burroughs to start in the offensive zone. And I, I think a key thing here is maybe it's part of the constantly seeing this style of defender, but I think everyone just needs to see Philip Ronick play just to remind yourself of saying, oh, right, this is a 2-3-4 a style defender expecting the depth players to constantly live up to a status of where we're talking about trying to push this team towards of winning playoff rounds and fighting for Stanley Cups, nice depth pieces. But they are approaching a baseline. They're not pushing a ceiling. Yes. And that's what you need if you intend to get places. If you intend to be a threat in the Western Conference and beyond, you need to start reaching for the ceiling. They're doing okay right now, but we're not talking about trying to be okay. Talk about trying to be great, trying to be good. And it's putting them in spots where you're not going to see the best version of those players. And and I think that's the other part of this too, right? And, you know, we mentioned Quinn Hughes, who played his audio and obviously a lot of reaction on the back uh, on the text inbox about, uh, you know, how the defense has played. Colin from the Caribou says, Biddington did us a favor by getting suspended. Those games he's out gives the Blues a better chance of picking up wins. Thanks, hothead. That is Colin from the Caribou about... uh, uh, Jordan Bennington and Bennington, of course, and Elias Patterson was went head to head for the Calder, and Patterson won. And you know, Patterson's been a big topic of conversation. You and I were discussing this, you know, during the game, and we we're saying, as good as Bavillier's been, what does it say about Patterson and what he can do to guys playing on his line? Which part of it is an easy thing to look at and say, you're right. I mean, hey, if Patterson gets a chance to play, if you get a, get a chance to play with Patterson, he'll get the best out of you. But then people also text in and say, well, how come Besser's not playing there? But Besser, any times he's played with Patterson recently, it hasn't quite clicked. So I think it goes beyond just saying anybody who plays with Patterson is going to be good. I think he helps a guy along. But it still has to be a lot the individual does to be able to fit in on a 
with on a line with a player like Pedersen. Well, they've also identified, you know, player archetypes as well. Like Mikheyev played there, and then Bovillier goes there. We're talking about speedy guys. Uh, last season, I really liked when Garland was there. So far, kind of okay this season in the very, very limited time that they've played together. But still, you, you want to see a, a more speedier version of a player. And also someone who plays in front of the net and can convert chances. Bovillier stepped in and looked like he's fit, he's fit right away. And then Kuzmenko, man, he's just so smart away from the puck. Yeah. They're, like, Brock has good goal-scoring sense and where to go. And certainly the last couple of years, most of his goals are coming by the net rather than the traditional heavy Brock shot. But the the work Kuzmenko's doing in front of the net is unbelievable right now. Well, and the thing is, both what something that both Bavillier and Kuzmenko have is their ability to create space and find open space, something that Besser struggled with. So they got, so yes, Patterson can help you get the puck in space, but you also have to do a lot of work yourself. And I think both those guys have done an incredible job playing alongside him. So I think it goes beyond just Elias Patterson, you know, being the guy who elevates them. So you're kind of getting a, the best, best of both worlds in terms of how those guys are performing. Now, we mentioned this a bit earlier. Head coach, former Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau now works for the NHL Network as an analyst, and you've probably seen and heard him give a lot of opinions on what's happening around the National Hockey League. No stranger uh, to uh, to be talking those types of situations. And now, today, he was talking about Elias Pettersson and who the future captain of the Vancouver Canucks should be. Here is the Canucks' former head coach Bruce Boudreau talking about Elias Pettersson earlier this evening. Elias Pettersson is someone that is having an amazing year for the yes. Vancouver Canucks. And I know that you and him had a great relationship. Yes. What was it about you and Elias Pettersson that, that you know, I think really in the, brought out the best of him? Because it didn't just start now. I mean, he's been good all year. I think this guy is fabulous. but <laughs> I, And I think he's going to have 120 points. Now, maybe not this year, but in the future, he's going to get that many points. But uh, with Elias, he's not a guy that likes to be yelled at or, or yeah. you know, you have to come. He's very Mike Greenish type thing. And, and I come, would come and talk to him every game and I'd say, you got to be the best today. I'm going to play you against this guy. And he'd say, I want the challenge because he's so competitive. But, I mean, he's, all, he's such a good player that he would take anything that I'd say and want to show people how good he was. And, that's, and he's still young and he's, and he's <laughs> just growing into that thing. So, I mean, I really believe that he's the future future captain of the Vancouver Canucks and uh, I I could see him grow from last year to this year to even more as it's going on the season's going on now that was actually former Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux some microphone issues for myself uh, headphone issues Uh, but yeah what do you make of that I mean we've kind of heard the sentiment that Elias Patterson's it's on his shoulders to maybe become the next captain. It's kind of like it's, it's it. He is by far the most talented player on the team, the best player on the team, and usually it's those guys who get the captaincy as long as they're willing to embrace it. And I think that's kind of the point Bruce is kind of making here is that he's the guy that should be it. And I think Pedersen himself has kind of said it's just a matter of whether he wants to embrace that or not, or whether he feels like he's ready for that or not. But it's very evident that the people that see him think that he's the guy that should embrace that. And the point I was making today on the People Show, if you want to go back and listen to it on the podcast, is, you know, obviously we talk so much about structure and this is a thing that 
a lot of people are focusing on about the improvements of the Vancouver Canucks that can lead to next year. It's not just one thing that can be the reason the Canucks improve next year. There's other elements to this. Obviously, management. Do they acquire more players, more talented players that fit their style of play? That's one. But the other one I was highlighting today was Elias Pettersson, and Quinn Hughes for that matter, is their work that they do this offseason to develop as people, as leaders, and to get something like a, a captaincy for either one of those players. Will they become more confident in themselves to be more vocal, to be the the engine that pushes players? And there's a great interview on 32 Thoughts mm. Today with Jay Woodcroft, Edmonton Oilers head coach, talking about that the thing that he's noticed from Connor McDavid this year is his leadership presence and how much willing he's willing how much he's willing to push other players. And in doing so, he's become a more confident player himself, and you're seeing it play out with his absurd season. And there's that element too, and Elias Pettersson and Queen Hughes become the truest version of themselves and start holding themselves to a higher standard, what standard will they hold other people to? And that's how you start pushing everyone Mm -hmm. a little bit forward. And that's collectively how you can push the team forward as well. Of course, the structure has to be better. They have to make improvements. They have to be consistent with it. Of course, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford have to go search out new talent. No one is saying run it back with these particular players and saying – this will push mm-hmm. you towards second and third round. But there's many different buckets you can choose from of how improvement comes. And you have to do all of them simultaneously. Yeah, and, and that's why like, even when you talk about team building, you talk about improvements from players and all. There's so many different things that have to happen. And you know, it's interesting because we have all these discussions about things in the moment. And it's like we're focusing on one thing at a time. And then somebody will be like, well, what about this? It's like, well, that also has to happen. But... And and not to use a cliche in terms of, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but it's one of those things where it's like there's so many things you got to get in place. And we're starting from the very early foundational parts of it and building it out from that point out. And, you know, there's a lot that this team still has to do to turn that corner. But I mean, when it comes to having a few stars, well, Elias Pedersen was on top of his game. This season he has been 85 points on the year now. Andre Kuzmenko also scored. We'll talk about him on the other side. We'll get to more of your text messages and more of your thoughts, plus Ian McIntyre as the Canucks Central postgame show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. More of the Canucks Central postgame show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in B.C. Only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now Garland on the forecheck forces a turnover in front for Pedersen. One-time chance from the top of the crease, and he missed the net. Great opportunity for the Canucks to pull to within one. Now Garland from the right circle, skating downhill, goes behind the Coyote net. In front for Pedersen, robbed by Prosvitov again. Second opportunity for Pedersen. This time Prosvitov stopped him with the right pad. Now Bovillia left circle. In front for Pedersen. Settles, shoots, scores! Elias Pedersen with all sorts of time at the bottom of the right circle finally beats Ivan Prosvitov on his third opportunity of this shift. And the Canucks make it a 3-2 game with 8-19 left in the third. 
Canucks end up losing 3-2 in Arizona against the Coyotes. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Big Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. And if you want, you can grab a phone line as well. 604-280-0650 or toll free. one 275 650 We are going to hear from uh, Ian McIntyre coming up in a few minutes time as well. Uh, this text, James and Fleetwood, I hate to say it, but uh, but coming out of my own game at UBC and seeing the Canucks not win was a relief. One goal losses is just fine for this diehard fan. Save it for next season. I do love talk it. That's James and Fleetwood texting in. Yeah, so a lot not, of that sentiment you know, coming yeah, in tonight. They're, they're fine with them losing a game here and there. 15 games. Yeah. 15 games to go, and we'll see uh, what the ultimate lottery odds look like. Again, 6% right now for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, not not great. Not great. Uh, 650, 650 as well. Uh, this one, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing a healthy Mikheyev on this team. I don't think we saw that at all no, this year. North-South guy, for sure. And again, that's the archetype that they've, yeah. they're looking for. Beauvilliers fit in fantastically, but... The defensive presence Ilya Mikheyev brings, I think, is going to be a big bonus. And, and we didn't see it in the regular season, his his uh, top speed, because he got hurt in the preseason. We saw speed. Yes. And, and even his, like, 75%, 80% speed is faster than a lot of players in the NHL. But I don't think we saw the true burner Ilya Mikheyev. So it's a great point uh, by that texter, 650-650. Because I... You know, the, the way it's working right now, if if it winds up being Beauvillier still on the team, you know, Beauvillier, Pedersen, Kuzmenko makes a lot of sense, and then Mikheyev with Miller makes a ton of sense too. Yeah, no, it certainly does. It certainly does. Um, and I think I like about the option of having Mikheyev and Beauvillier, and especially with both guys, you know, having shown success playing alongside Elias Pedersen, is that you don't you're, you're fine with having either guy on the top line. And the question then becomes, which guy do you want to play on your second line? And, I mean, in theory, I really like the idea of Mikheyev playing with Miller in general because he's so good getting on the forecheck first, mm-hmm. and he's so fast, and he's good defensively. And I think that can help, uh, you know, keep JT in where he needs to be. And his ability for retrieval. Well, the speedy version of... PDG right now. Yeah, he is. And and the thing I like about it, too, is with JT also, when he's on his game defensively and playing center, he's down low a lot in his own zone. And he's good at getting the breakout going. Imagine trying to hit. You have Mikheyev screaming down through in transition. I mean, it could, it could be some fun. Do we need to invite uh, stretch passes for JT? <laughs> Maybe not. Good point. Perhaps, perhaps not. <laughs> I feel like you're trying to create moments that have led to his... Most clipped moments. Yes, it's certainly done. Uh, Ian says, means nothing. Uh, Boudreaux is now gone. Talkit is the king now, as in the king of the town. And he wasn't <laughs> too happy with uh, well, how the team played so far. And this one from Fluffy McShamrock. Mc, uh, Mc, Shamrock. We got outscored. That's all that happened. No rocket science. Sucks to be dumb. All right. We'll take that. Yeah, again. <laughs> I don't think the, the conversations of structure or anything like that are going to change. And I don't think this is a declaration that told you the structure doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You're going to pick up an L every while. <laughs> every once in an off. It, every once in a while. I, I, love the, I love the text that are like overanalyzing. And they're yeah. just saying not enough analyzing. And it's like, all right. Either way. They're not the Bruins. <laughs> we not. know that. They're not 11-5 <laughs> and five in the L column. Yes. They are 
a work in progress. Yes. And it's no. going to take some time. Claude texting in, 650-650. Can management influence who is playing and how much? I would hope that they tell the coaches not to play their best players as much, Patterson and Hughes, and try to play the developing players more, like Joshua and Will Lannon. Best case, these young guys improve, become key contributors next season. In the worst case, they show they can't move up the depth chart and we lose to get a top five pick who can actually help improve the team in the near future. I just don't get how tanking now doesn't fit the retool timeline. would like to know what you guys think. It, it is a bit of a division of labor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Management might make suggestions. Who's ultimately going to make the de- decisions. Yes. And lineup card is often left to the coach uh, with suggestions, I'm sure. Uh, but usage and deployment still going to reside in the hands of the coach. Yes, uh, absolutely. And even though the head coach um, is in lockstep with management, it's difficult to all of a sudden be like, yeah, let's just play far fewer minutes for your top guys when you're trying to win, right? And we had a good discussion with Kevin Woodley about this in terms of goaltending as well and you know how you're trying to still get this guy to be at your level and trying to build a relationship with with those guys. And it's hard to have credibility with your players if you're not doing everything you can. Not to say throw the kitchen sink at winning games, but putting your best foot forward. And players know when a coach isn't. So I think that's kind of the... We live in a gray area, right, in mm-hmm. general. And I think that's where coaches operate. And it's not that simple. And I think that's kind of a big part of it here. Even paint stores know that there's uh, different shades of black. Mm-hmm. It's charcoal. Yes. Noir. It's egg white. It's cream. Lilies of the Valley. It's not just black and white. There's, there's shades to it all. And so it's, it's part of the conversation. Yes. Like the gray area that you were talking about. Yes, yes, yes. We, we live in a lot of gray. I mean, you know, I, I don't need to get into a philosophical gray area, black and white discussion. Why not? It's not that. Not yet. Not yet. We have, we have a lot of time. We, we need those philosophical th- discussions right before uh, IMAC comes on. IMAC comes on. Well, okay. You know what? You want to do it here? I'll do it here. You know, when it comes to Andre Kuzmenko, for instance, I'll do a, a, a okay. gray area uh, where we exist. We're here with Andre Kuzmenko. Because the easy thing to look at with Kuzmenko is say, like, here's a guy who's a 40-goal guy. And next year is going to do the same thing next season. But I think we can look at a player for next year who might be a better, more reliable player who could score maybe 10 fewer goals on the season, 12 fewer goals. And that's where, as much as we sit here and talk about production, and it's important for top-end guys, being a winning hockey player, a good hockey player, means you have to have production, a good level of production, but it's not the end-all, be-all. And that's where it's fascinating for me because he scored a goal tonight. We also saw at times the head coach reduce his minutes. We saw he be the guy uh, who got the short end of the stick in the top six with Elias Pettersson when they when they made a couple of changes. Bester got out there with Pettersson and Bevilliers for, for a spell. Garland got out there, I mean, uh, late in the third period. We've seen the coach take him away a bit. So as much as we're sitting here talking about how good his production's been, I think I'd be more impressed with Kuzmenko next season if we see consistency in terms of deployment and trust, even if he scores a bit less. And that's why when we look at value of players, and especially top six guys, we have to look beyond just pure production. Now, there has to be good production. You can't be a top six guy and not score 20 goals, right, and not get 50, 60 points at least. But I think just looking at a guy scoring 30 goals alone or 35 isn't the marker. No, like he, he has to be a more well-rounded player. And it's still about raising the floor of a player, too. It's, that's that's what coaching is for. 
as you try to push this towards a more competitive team, mm-hmm. you're going to ask more of a player, right? Now, this is he's a rookie yeah. at the NHL level. He's a long-time pro, but at the NHL level, this is the first year. And we're five weeks removed from Andre Kuzmenko playing um, 10 minutes in a game. So there's still a development path for Andre Kuzmenko in developing trust with this coaching staff. And by all accounts, he's putting every bit of work to get better. And tonight, yeah, he played 20 minutes, but we're not that far removed. Uh, When was the 10-minute game? Uh, That was the Detroit game, which was, yeah, five weeks ago. He's been fantastic for five weeks. One game. And look, he scored tonight too, but yeah. he's still gonna have to improve his game. There's no well, question about that. Well, and, yeah. and he's making those improvements. And that's why, like, the, when I look at his, we are seeing the improvements, right? But when I look at just like to me, if if we see Tockett just completely lean on the rest of the way and his production comes down, I'd almost be more impressed. Because then I think it's like because okay. a more complete player. Yeah, complete or at least there's going to be trust. Because I mean, if Taka is going to be here next year, which he's going to be, I hope so. I mean, we can't keep we can't be in a situation where the coaches are changing every single. They're paying four coaches. <laughs> but how do you get on side with this guy? Because I think Kuzmenko is so important to this franchise long term, right? I mean, they made a bet on him. They signed him to a two year extension. He's been fantastic. Like you know, how do you complete him? And I think that's Taka's big key here. How do you complete this player who's been so fantastic for this club? I want to bring up a player because we've had this discussion about Andre Kuzmenko's shooting percentage. I want to bring up a player from the past whose shooting percentage didn't really dip in his prime years. Okay. Now, mind you, I'm going to clarify this. Like from 27.3 or whatever it is right now for Andre Kuzmenko, he came in tonight at 27.3. And I suspect that number went up because he only had one shot on goal and it went in tonight. So from the 28% he's at right now, it's going to dip next year. Yes. But there was a player, Alex Burrows, who went from 9%, 9.5%, and shot up to 16%. And I'm sure we had that conversation then of, oh, it's probably going to dip. And then he went 167 17.1%, 14.1%. Uh, for his prime years mm-hmm. of goal-scoring production, his shooting percentage was pretty stable. And then it slipped. Which, go figure, at age 31, it started to slip. For Andre Kuzmenko, would something like that shock you? Considering how smart Burrow was, always getting to the right spots, converting chances. the way like Kuzmenko's goal tonight and the last game, I would expect him to score that a lot. And he's been getting those opportunities a lot. Yes. So I wouldn't be shocked if he regresses, but it's still 20%. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And he can still be at a, at a very high level, but obviously he's been a huge hit for the Canucks so far this season. All right, uh, it's time to bring in our closer, the man we call the triple threat. You hear him on radio, you see him on TV, you read him on digital. He is Ian McIntyre. Shooting percentage of about... 2.5%. 2.5, coming in strong, hot. <laughs> what? That's like um, stay-at-home defenseman shooting percentage, isn't it? 2.5% or so? All those guys have long careers. 
to get pucks if on can, if, if they can actually defend, yes. Oh, I mean, we're assuming that. I mean, the shooting percentage is one thing. We're assuming they're elite defenders. Yes. Well, having this job has made me defensive, so. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I mean, it makes all of us defensive. I yeah, think. I don't think Kizmanko is going to shoot 28%. In fact, he, he's, you know, very few <laughs> players are even anywhere near 20. But if you went back and looked at all his goals and, you know, that's a that's an assignment for somebody on social media tonight. Show us all of Kuzmenko's goals. I bet there's at least I'm going to say at least ten that are within three or four feet of the net mm-hmm. and with similar resistance to what he scored tonight. And he is going to score like a hundred percent of those or 98 percent of those ones and so the question is okay was well, he going to keep getting those chances yeah i think those chances he probably will because look who he's playing with and look how smart he is and he's also uh i would say a very selective shooter he's not a volume shooter you know he he's he's picking his spots but when you're when you're going to get you know 10 gimmies of course you're your shooting percentage is going to look, you know, high and unsustainable. But I, I think he's going to continue to get those kind of chances. I'm not sure he's going to continue to score at the same rate. In fact, I don't think he's going to continue to score at the same rate uh, from other places on the ice. But this is a guy who's, you know, we noticed his shot, his first practice of, of uh, training camp. In Whistler and Bruce Boudreau mentioned it. I think Bruce Boudreau mentioned it the, f- the first practice that and Boudreau was even kind of hesitant to say uh, the word Ovechkin. Yeah, but but that's that's who he compared uh, Kizmenko to in terms of the release and the velocity of his shot. Yeah, and you know I, I, one of the things that we keep coming back to when I watch Kuzmenko play is. Even if, let's say, the production comes down a little bit, there's also another layer of him where I can see he can do more playmaking as well. Like, he, he strikes me as a guy that if you take something away from him, he'll find another way to be productive. And I think that's kind of showed when he was demoted at times to the third line. He was playing with guys that were not at his level, and he really drove a play at least and created more opportunities. I think there's a lot more to Kuzmenko's game that we still haven't quite seen yet either. I just think he's he's so smart in the offensive zone, and and a lot of it maybe goes unnoticed. Uh, certainly, when you see the game in person, and you can focus on a player and not on the puck, you, you I think you get a greater appreciation for for just what his scoring instincts are in, in the offensive zone. And and uh, last game. Uh, was an excellent. Well, tonight was a good example too. But we've seen that, we've seen that before. But sort of the awareness uh, tonight was instant awareness of what the opportunity was in just turning and tapping his stick right away because he knew that he had that side open. But last game, the goal he scored, I think it was on a Connor Garland setup, kind of a fake shot and a hard pass over to him. It, when you see him on that play, he's in the mosh pit in front of the net, and he just knows when to get away from that traffic. He just drifts backwards about 10 feet, and he gives himself a sharper angle, but he gives himself all kinds of space to receive the pass and then and then shoot. It, it looks 
so simple, but you know that's not a skill that everybody everybody has. In fact, it's a skill few people have. You combine that then with his ability to actually shoot and finish. Uh, I think he's going to be, you know, potentially a forty goal scorer in this league for the next several years. Uh, Ian, it felt like a game like we've seen so many times earlier on in the season where specialty teams, they don't uh, convert on theirs, and they give up a couple uh, for the other team's power play. And, and we saw that earlier in the season where they'd go you know, 0 for 3, 0 for 5, and go 2 for 3 on the penalty kill. Uh, it, it, it hurts them tonight. Well, there's only so much you can do against Travis Boyd and Brett Ritchie. <laughs> yeah, stalwarts <laughs> for- in Arizona. First unit stalwarts. Didn't Travis Boyd play for the Canucks? 19 games. Yeah. I had this big memory. The pandemic season. He was a waiver pickup. Yeah, I'm being a bit facetious. I know he played for the Canucks, but it it was so not memorable that it's just one of those those, uh, names. But, you know, there's other names. He was the last one to wear 72 before uh, Beauvillier. Uh, how about Vessi in New York as well? You yeah. know, another guy from that. From got that a contract team. extension from the Rangers. Yeah. yeah, and those guys, you know, those guys are playing great. I, Richie, I don't know, but Boyd is, I mean, Richie, I know he's from just traded from Calgary, but Boyd has kind of remade himself, and so I shouldn't really make fun of him, but the, the point is you, you look at the talent uh, available on the two power plays tonight and how they went, and to me, it, this is more about, at least tonight, was more about the Canucks' power play than it was their penalty killing. We know their penalty killing has been pretty solid recently. And even though it has still given up a few goals, it has more than offset them by that explosion of shorthanded goals that we've that we've seen. And in fact, when when Arizona got their power play early in the third period, I thought, okay, is, is this the one... Pedersen and Miller are going to combine and generate something, and it ended up in the Canucks net right away. So again, I was wrong. But I, I, I think it's it's the power play that's really an issue because it it hasn't it, it has power plays where it looks dangerous. In fact, most of them they look dangerous. They get the zone. There's there you know Quinn Hughes is is so good at you know transporting the puck and. You know they they're pretty good at getting getting the zone and they have a lot of zone time. So you know even a lot of games where they don't score, they look dangerous. But the bottom line is still the bottom line, and they haven't they haven't really been a dangerous power play for nine games now. But you can go back much much farther than that. You can go back to mid December, which is when their power play peaked, and it's been on the whole poor since then. And uh, I'm I'm a little perplexed by it just because of all the talent that they have available, and you know they've they've been trying to change it. You know we see guys cycling uh, more into different positions. They're trying not to be not to be static, but other teams have just so taken away you know the plays. Uh, high in the zone, they've taken away the Pedersen one-timer, they've taken away uh, when Miller is on the left side, which we haven't seen as much lately, but they've taken away the Miller downhill wrist shot that they're forcing the Canucks to try to beat beat you down low, and they haven't been able to figure out 
how to do that. That's one thing that I think they have missed. Uh, Bo Horvat is in is in the bumper spot down low. They just and they've tried different guys there. And Beauvillier, I think, I thought he was maybe the best Canuck tonight. He and Garland, I thought, were two of the guys who did look engaged. But Beauvillier hasn't really been able to hold down that that role. I, I think I think that Besser is a poor fit there when they try to play more uh, from the right side and. You know they got it. They should be better. You know, just with this talent, they they shouldn't uh, have prolonged periods like they have. And again, uh, I think big picture, you can you can go back months now where this power play hasn't been as good as it should be. Yeah, and I think this off season is going to be one of those really interesting, you know. Um times for the coaching staff to get together and put some plans together and see what happens this offseason and obviously what helps what else happens with the roster throughout the rest of the year. I did want to spend a moment though on Anthony Bevilier who now has 16 points in 18 games uh, since being picked up f- uh, by Vancouver from the uh, New York Islanders and he's on career for a career he's on pace for a career season now after struggling in New York before. What does that tell you about his fit in Vancouver? Well, I, I think it's been great, obviously. Um, uh, I think it's been uh, a bit of a bonus because, you know, he's kind of the most immediate piece by default in the trade. And I think probably, and I might be being unfair to him here because I, I don't know what uh, Lou Lamorello was thinking exactly, but he was probably the most easily expendable piece for the Islanders. You know, they wouldn't have wanted to give up their first pick. And Ratu, we've talked about, you know, is is a very good prospect, but if, if the Islanders thought he was really going to be a stud center, they probably wouldn't have included him. And then they needed to to move some salary to make room for Bo. And so Beauvillier was the guy, and it was pretty on paper, pretty painless for them. You remove a guy who's making four million plus from your third line who hadn't scored much, but he very quickly, I think, realized that that this is an an incredible opportunity for him coming to Vancouver with a year left on his salary, and to basically recast himself as a player to be something more than, you know, uh, a cog in a a pretty big, uh, meticulous, dull wheel in in New York. You know, instead of just being a solid player that you could count on to play somewhere in the middle of your lineup, be something more than that. And, you know, yeah, it's helped immensely that he's playing with Elias Pettersson at a time when Pettersson is having a season better than anybody's had since the Sedins. You know, he's he's probably, although I don't put it past him, I don't think he's getting Miller's 99 points, but he might. Um, But his his season, like his two-way game overall, you'd have to go back a lot of years and really look at some of the Sedin's peak seasons to see when somebody was last better than Elias Pettersson has been this year. And, yeah, of course that helps. That helps Beauvillier. But what what he's doing and what he showed tonight, uh, this renewed confidence in the offensive zone and uh, how he's got his his feet moving now. That, you know, initially, uh, 
I, I didn't think he skated as well as I thought he would with Vancouver because I remember him playing in the playoffs for the Islanders and how direct and fast he was and what a handful he was with defenders, not because he was overly big, which he's not, or overly physical, which he's not, but he's so fast and he's so, it was so aware that he, he was on top of them and it made it difficult uh, for defenders in the opposition zone. We're seeing that now with Vancouver, but he's now, uh, as I say, he's kind of reinventing himself, and now he's got this offensive dimension as well. And 13 of those 16 points have been at even strength. And again, I, I don't for a second discount the the impact that Elias Pettersson and Kuzmenko is, is having on him, but I think he still deserves credit for a lot of what he is doing, and we'll see where it goes. I mean, either way, no matter what happens, this is great for Beauvillier, you know, to to seize this opportunity and to be something more than he was with the Islanders. Whether that means he's actually going to remain with the Canucks long term and be part of whatever this team becomes, uh, I think that's hard to say. I, I also think it's doubtful, just because of the money involved and where the Canucks where the Canucks are in their salary cap. Um, but, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done so far. Ian, great stuff as always, getting you on the post-game show here. And this one, it wasn't a ton in this game, but the Canucks don't win this one, lose 3-2. We'll have a back-to-back coming up this weekend, so we'll have more to chat about even on Saturday from L.A. If you're going to lose uh, or snap a five-game winning streak, this was the team to do it against, no? Yeah, oh, it, I mean, hey, you know, we've been going over it, tied in points now. Canucks and uh, Coyotes. Games in hand for Coyotes, but, you know, tied in points. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll see yeah. ultimately what happens. We will. We will. And hopefully they'll give us more to talk about. We've got, what, 15 to go? 15 to go. I don't, and we'll see if Hirona comes back at some point and maybe even Ackman Larson before the season ends. A lot more to discuss, and I look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca, Ian, and chatting with you on Saturday. I'll talk to you on the weekend, boys. Uh, great stuff as always. Thanks, Ian. Uh, that is Ian McIntyre. Always fun having him on the post-game show. A lot of good reaction, as always, from you listening in and being part of our text message inbox and also calling in. Look forward to chatting with you again on the weekend. What's coming up on the People Show tomorrow, Bick? Myself, Josh Elliott-Wolf, 2-4, to four, filling in for PDO cast as well. Kevin Woodley will be on the show, and also Ty Dunn, All right. NFL writer. Nice. All right. Uh, I'm Satyar Shaw, back at it with Dan Richo for Canuck Central tomorrow. Josh Ellie Wolf producing our show. We have Yannick Hansen and Mailbag. The Friday Mailbag's coming up tomorrow. Special thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory producing the show. This has been the Canuck Central Postgame Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.